0: My name's Jennifer, and I just want to know, who is ready for another sex talk this morning? Because that's what, it's on the docket this morning. Um, so if you didn't know that, and you would prefer to take your kids to their class, feel free to do that. But as Van said last week, feel free to leave them here and just prepare for an interesting conversation this afternoon. Um, it's your choice. But um, I'm super excited about this message this morning. If you have been coming here for a while, you know that we have been in a long-term message series called Following the King. And so we've been going through the book of Matthew. Um, We're pausing that for a little while to have this God and sexuality series. It's gonna be short. And then um, in December, we're gonna do an Advent series, and then we'll resume Matthew in the new year. So that's the plan. Um, One reason why we're doing this God and sexuality message series is because The world is currently being discipled about sexuality. I mean, we are, people are. Whether we're intentional about it or not, something is forming us spiritually about how we understand sexuality. And right now, the enemy is broadcasting his message very loud and clear in the world on sexuality. And his message is one of perversion and distortion of the goodness that God meant for sex to be. And I think that, okay, so there's, so there's three messages. So there's the enemy's, the world's message right now is it's casual. You can do it, no strings attached. It's just a physical activity. Go get yours. It feels good. There you go. <clears throat> what I'd say the religious messages. It just looks like a big no. It's just, don't do it, this is bad, save yourself for marriage, but other than that, there's no real understanding as to why. Maybe you have the reason of like, you can get STDs or you can have an unplanned pregnancy, but there's no real reason, no discipleship around the goodness that God intended sexuality to be in marriage. So that's missing, it's just a bunch of rules and confusion. And here's the thing about that message, Somebody, especially a female who was raised with that message of just no, 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 you got to protect, you know, your brother's eyes, dress modestly, it's all no, raised in that, comes to her wedding night, and all of a sudden you have to turn it on, and you don't know how, and no one tells you how, and you don't have a model for healthy sexuality, so there's a ton of pain and shame that comes with that message. So what we're doing in this message series is talking about the kingdom narrative of sexuality, what God intended sex to be, and the goodness that he has for us in it. So my topic this morning is um, God's gift of covenant. So last week, uh, God, Van, he's not God, Van, our senior pastor, kicked off the message series on God's gift of sex and talked about in Genesis, how God created man and woman, and he said the word protuberance, and it was awesome, and uh, so today I want to talk about covenant, and really why a, a good understanding of God's goodness of sex in marriage, and what that, what his heart is for that, and then also why do we wait for marriage? Like, what is the true reason that we wait for marriage, or some of the true reasons? Um, Before we jump in, I want to rattle off a few resources in this area. This is such, I love this topic. So I have a few resources to share with you guys. The first one is my favorite ministry. Raise your hand if you've heard of Moral Revolution. Awesome, we've had them here to do a conference. We're gonna have them back sometime next year to do another conference. They are just a wealth of knowledge for anyone. They talk about gender, Pornography and masturbation, parenting, sexuality, all kinds of things, um, all from a kingdom perspective. So they have an awesome website, moralrevolution.com. They also have a podcast, Let's Talk About It. Um, and then they have a book that goes along with like the heart of their ministry that Chris Vallotton wrote called The Moral Revolution. I highly recommend that book, um, especially for like singles, but really for anyone. My second favorite resource is called Connection Codes. So this is a husband and wife that lead a, it's like a counseling ministry. So if you go to their website, Connection Codes, you can even sign up for a private counseling session online with them. Um, They have online classes and all kinds of things there. So the the husband is a Christian sexologist. So he has researched tons of relationships and sexual relationships, um, and then leads this ministry with his wife. And they are just amazing, they're super godly people. And when I hear them talk, it's like I'm listening to them talk about their marriage like the Song of Solomon. Like they are just like living happy over there. Like they have it going on. So they're amazing role models for what healthy Christian sexuality looks like with no shame and um, yeah, they're very knowledgeable. So that's a good one to look in for married couples. Um, A few books, so the next book, Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. This, so this book, I just wanna say like, I don't love the tone of it sometimes, but it is a good resource for any woman, any stage of life on, um, and just encouragement for your heart about sexuality. Number four is a podcast called Small Things Often, written, or, so it comes from the Gottman Institute. So John Gottman is another relationship researcher. So all of his stuff, including this podcast, is very research-based. He researched so many um, relationships and he's written books. And so this podcast is like five-minute episodes where he takes all of his research and boils it down to practical relationship advice. So it's super helpful. Will and I have gotten so much from the Gottman Institute. And then the last one is a book that is amazing. Um, It's called Hooked! New Science on How Casual Sex is Affecting Our Children. So this is really biology-based what happens in our brains and what happens biologically when this culture of casual sex is happening. So look into those. And um, I'm gonna reference some of these information in my message so we'll get into it a little bit. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, we want to know your heart even in this area of sexuality. I ask that you would disarm any shame or condemnation that's not from you, and that you would give us ears to hear your truth and hearts to receive it, Father, because we want to learn your ways and walk in them because you have so much goodness for us in this life. We don't wanna miss it. And I just pray that you would release hope to those who are experiencing brokenness right now, in Jesus' name, amen. So we talked about the snow. Who enjoyed the snow? this weekend? Is anyone sad about it? Like, why? Why are you sad about it? It's okay. <laughs> That's okay. Um, did anyone enjoy a, like, cozy fire in their fireplace when the snow came down? Yeah? Oh, I'm so jealous. We don't have a fireplace. It's my dream to have a room with a fireplace in our house. We have one of those, like, fake ones that you can turn on the, like, picture and has the heat coming out. So I had that on, but... Um, it was perfect because I was already thinking about fireplaces for this message. felt like the Lord gave me a picture of the power of fire, right? Like, I don't have a fireplace, but I love, I so wish I had one. Like yesterday, why, how come I didn't just go to my living room floor and set up a fire on the carpet? You know, why didn't I do that? How come? Because I know better, Right? I know about fire. I know about the power of fire. And I have an understanding that if I set up a fire on my living room floor, it's going to cause fire damage, burn my house down, injure my family, and cause damage. But I understand that the power of fire is properly held in a fireplace. And so it's the same thing with sex, that God designed it to be a powerful bonding force for a husband and a wife and covenant marriage is what can properly hold that power. That's how he designed it, to go hand in hand with marriage. But when we use it outside of the context that God designed it for, it still acts like fire. It's still bonding a man and a woman, but then it's creating problems for our soul because it doesn't have the safety of covenant. So that's what I wanna talk about this morning. And I wanna talk about God's heart for married sex like what his heart is that we would experience there, and then also what that fire damage can look like. Because I think me and I'm sure other people in the room, we know or we knew before we were married, you're supposed to save yourself for marriage, right? But we don't, I didn't totally understand like what it would look like to not do that. You know, does it actually impact my life if I don't? Like I know it's like some spiritual thing to save yourself for marriage, But what happens if I don't? Like, why does it actually matter in my life? So for that reason, I wanna share some stories at the end of my message about how, what this fire damage can look like in real life. Um, And it's not to incite fear, but I think it's really to just have a proper understanding and a proper respect for the design that God, how God designed sex to be this powerful force. So that's the plan today. Who's ready? (laughs) We're going to start off with this passage in Matthew, Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. What we're reading here is a conversation between the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders of the day, and they're asking Jesus about divorce, about permissions to get divorced and things. And this is his response to them. He says, "Haven't haven't you read... That at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Sex is such a powerful force that bonds two people together, body, soul, and spirit. And we can't be naive to that fact. That's how God created it to be. And God in his goodness gave sex to Adam and Eve in Genesis in a time where they had relational and emotional security and safety. No one was leaving. They weren't competing with other people. Genesis 2.25 says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. It was a totally safe covenant. And so I just see the goodness of God in that, that he gave this powerful thing in a safe place for them, emotionally safe. I'm not talking about like safe sex. I mean like an emotionally safe place because sex is incredibly vulnerable and it can be used to, for fire damage if it's not handled properly. So covenant sex, covenant is the context that can hold the power of sex properly because of the relational security and the emotional security. You're pledged for life, and you're there to serve your spouse, not get what's yours. So that's what we're talking about. Let's read 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 5. What we're reading here is a letter that the Apostle Paul was writing in response to a letter that he got from the Corinthians. So. They wrote him, and they asked questions, and they were, whatever they were doing, talking to him, and we have his response back to them. So this is what we're reading. He spends three chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians on sexual morality. So we're jumping into the middle, and what we see from the book is that they have a lot of issues going on in this church. They have a lot of confusion around sexual morality and what the Bible says about it and what the Lord's design for it was. So we see that in one part, Paul references that someone in the church, a Christian, is having a sexual relationship with his father's wife, so his stepmom. So he addresses that. We see in another part that he's addressing people in the church who are having sex with temple prostitutes, which was a cultural way of worshiping. So there's just a lot of brokenness and confusion around this topic of sexuality. And so he's writing to disciple them in it. And here's what he says. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Let's pause there. The way that we're supposed to read this verse, so not all the translations have this, but in NIV it has the like, very helpful punctuation added in. Now for the matters you wrote about, colon, Quotes, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. What Paul is doing, he's not commenting yet. All he's saying is, yeah, I'm writing this letter to you, and then you said this in your letter. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. I'm going to bring that in here to my letter so that we can talk about this. This is just a reference point for this conversation. So he's not commenting yet. He's not saying it is good. And you know what is interesting? Some different Bible translations, I think it was... NASB has, it is good in italics, but you need to be careful. You need to read the beginning of your Bible that talks about how it's written because italics in NASB aren't to emphasize something. They're to point out something about the translation. So you just have to be careful of that. It's not meant to be read. It is good just because it's in italics. So that's just a little side note. Um, so he's saying, let's talk about this. This is what you guys think. And I think it's interesting, what I see them doing, the Corinthians right here, is they're reacting to what they see in the sexual immorality and the culture around them. They're reacting to that with a big no, a big religious no of saying it's all bad, right? It's all, it's it's not good at all to have sexual relations with a woman. And we see in a minute that Paul says, but marriage. Marriage is the place where it's good. So he's correcting them where they've had an overreaction to the world, and they go into a religious mindset. Another thing that I love about this first verse is that we see that discipleship conversations about sexuality are vital. That this church is asking Paul, who is celibate and unmarried, questions about sexuality, and he's speaking with authority. He's not disqualified to speak to marriage just because he's not married. And I think this is so valuable and this is so needed. I mean, Jordan was just talking about the outpouring and David and all these people that have like small group leaders, that is an amazing privilege to be there in a safe space, a safe person for people who have questions. I mean, and not just kids, like we need it too. Um, I was just talking to my friend Amanda this week and. Back in the day, she led a small group of middle school girls over at Tri-County Vineyard. And just this week, they have been reaching out to her, asking questions as their like spiritual discipler. And they're in college. They're in college now. So this is such a valuable relationship and we don't want to exclude sexuality from our discipleship. It's so important. And even if you think about your own life, like what is something that you wish someone would have told you, or, someone, or that you wish someone would talk to you about regarding sexuality, because it can be so taboo, so shameful if we're not careful. Um, I know there's definitely things that I wish people would have told me, and I actually asked my friends this question this week, so we had fun talking about sex a lot this week, if you're my friend, um, and they shared some amazing, some really interesting things, so this is what they, some of them said. I'll read this to you. <clears throat> I said, what is something you wish someone would have told you about sex or something people need to talk about? And these are all married women, Christians. First one said, I wish someone could have explained to me the real reason to wait for marriage in a way for my ears to have heard. I could always rationalize having sex, like I will keep the baby or I will just marry this guy, so why does it truly matter to wait? Someone else said, more than something someone would have told me, I wish I would have had someone to talk to about sex-related things, probably starting in middle school. So let me just pause there because psychology recognizes this thing called the law of first mention. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about, the law of first mention. Okay, yeah. So the law of first mention recognizes that the first person to teach a topic or to introduce a topic to you hands you the lens for how you will see it. And they also become the authority figure that you will come back to when you have questions. So if, as a kid, if I learn about sex from stumbling on Lifetime TV at a friend's house, Lifetime TV hands me the lens for how to understand sexuality, and most likely I will come back to that source when I have questions about it. So if we as Christians can come to our kids and to those that we have influence over, we can, be, we can offer them such a message of hope and goodness that leads to life and not pain around sexuality, but we can't be afraid, we have to do it. And we have to do it sooner than later, especially as parents, the risk of talking to your kids too early, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot, the risk of talking to my kids too early about sex is low compared to waiting too long to talk about it. Because of the age that we live in with digital and sexy commercials and music everywhere and all kinds of things, it's so important that we can bring this conversation up soon. Okay, so another thing that my friend said, number three is, I never heard anyone acknowledge women's struggle with porn and masturbation. No one ever told me why I couldn't just masturbate to get my needs met. Number four, ha, 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 that I won't always want to have sex, but he will, dot, 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 he will most of the time. Number five, why no one talks about it. Number six, someone said that sex is for the man and the woman, not just the man. Ladies, can I get amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. (laughs) Something someone didn't know. I thought maybe it is just for the man. We're gonna talk more about that. Someone else said that it is something you have to work at. It changes through the relationship and there are seasons to it like everything else. Someone else said that the day hours outside the bedroom end up heavily affecting the woman's ability to engage with it when the time comes. I really struggle to rally myself to even start having sex if I felt unseen or unappreciated for a good chunk of the day. Isn't that interesting? Number nine, this is the last one. Someone said, I wish someone told me that your honeymoon is just the starting point for your sex life, and it gets better as you grow. That you don't just hop into marriage, and you're like, here we are, now we can do this now, and that's all that there is. No, it's a relational thing. There's more to learn, and you get better as you grow. So the enemy is broadcasting his message in the world. And we have a job to... Know the Lord's message on sex and his goodness in it, and then to disciple in that. Verses 2 and 3. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. So Paul is saying, okay, you guys are saying it's all bad. It's not all bad. Marriage. There's a monogamous relationship. It's good there. He says, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. I love how the New King James says this verse, verse 3. It says, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. I love that it says affection because affection can be like the umbrella that sexual relationship goes under. Do you know that emotional connection has to be in place for there to be any sexual connection? And you can have sex without the emotional connection, but it is so lame, it's just lame, it's awful. It's not what God intended, there's no goodness in it. It's just physical. God designed us to have emotional connection and from that emotional connection would come our sexual connection in our marriage. So, spouses, you can think, are we emotionally connected? Especially if you know that you have a problem with your sexual connection or, not, or just disconnection there. If there's a disconnect in your sexual relationship, think about your emotional relationship. Are you guys connecting emotionally? Ask yourself, did my spouse feel seen today by me? Did my spouse feel heard by me today? Or did they feel unseen or ask them, did you feel seen by me today? Did you feel heard by me today? You got to target the emotional connection. Verse four the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. So, what I see here is sex should be self sacrificial. And there is, here and in the verses before, there's a reciprocal relationship that God designed sex and marriage to be. That we don't show up to marriage or to sex to get what we deserve or to stand up for our rights. We come to lay ourselves down, no pun intended, for our spouse. We come to serve them and to give of ourselves to them out of love. Chris Vallotton has this quote in the Moral Revolution book. He says, the truth is that Jesus defined and demonstrated love as sacrifice, not as sex. So the whole thing is about giving of myself, how Jesus modeled, giving of myself. And this is totally at odds with what the world is saying about sex that sex is about feeling good and looking hot, and if you're hot, you do it, and that's all that. But the kingdom says this, sex is a way to love your spouse, that you come to serve them and to sacrifice yourself. That's the kingdom way. Another thing that I see in these verses is that there's the husband and there's the wife in the sexual relationship. There's not just the husband, right? There's not just the wife. There's two, and there's this, like, pattern that Paul keeps using in, this, um, in these verses. Husband should fulfill his marital duty, and likewise the wife to her husband. Wife does not have authority over her own body, and likewise the husband over his own body. So we see that sex is for both the male and the female. Sometimes we can get that twisted and think it's just for one of us. But God's heart is that it's for both, that both parties in the marriage would show up fully present to sex and to marriage. And so let me just use this language. In a marriage, and I think God designed it this way for a reason, in a marriage, and specifically in sex, there's usually a tortoise and a hare, okay? A tortoise and a hare in sex. Someone who's just like, there you go, and someone who's like, slower. And if it's only the hair ever crossing the finish line, that's not how God designed it. And why did he design it to be this tension? Why couldn't we just be at the same speed? Why can't we cross the finish line together just easily? Because it's a relational thing. It's not just physical. It requires relationship and dialogue and serving and preferring. The tortoise preferring the hare and the hare preferring the tortoise (laughs) and going together to cross the finish line. So this should be the norm. And again, I just want to acknowledge there's so many different situations represented in this room. And I have been, I mean, this is not... I'm not experiencing God's total goodness either. But this is God's heart. That husband and wife serve each other and that sex is just an expression of their marriage in the covenant and the self-sacrifice that's already happening in the marriage. So this is what God desires for it to be normal. And so we see from all these things that sex is about connection. It's not just about feeling good, It's not just about a release, it's about connection. It's about your relationship. It's to bond your relationship and to strengthen your relationship and to prefer your spouse. The husband and wife both totally present and vulnerably giving themselves to each other. So verse five, do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So what I see Paul saying here is that sex should be a normal thing for married couples, that that's God's design, is that it would be occurring regularly because it strengthens and health, healthifies. It, it. makes It's for the health of your relationship. And science shows that when you have sex with one person over and over again, Chemicals are released, and you're bonding, and you feel fond of them, and it improves your relationship. So it should be a normal occurrence, and we shouldn't under, or we shouldn't um fall into the lie that it's something that you grow out of, or that you know. I mean, I know physical things happen, all kinds of things happen, but we should know that God's heart is that this was designed as a part of a marriage relationship to bond us and for goodness. And so we should be seeking that out. This, the last part of verse 5 is something that I have heard misunderstood a lot. It says, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I've heard this verse, especially understood by women, to mean wives, you know, You better service your husband once a week so he doesn't have wandering eyes. And I just want to say that's a very sad way to take this verse. And I don't agree with it. (laughs) What I see Paul doing here is he's talking to an audience, the Corinthians, who already struggle with self-control. He's not saying all Christians struggle with self-control. He's saying, you guys, the Corinthians, clearly have issues here. So keep it in marriage. Have sex in marriage, do it in marriage. Um, And then what else I see is that, okay, so self-control. Paul is talking to people who don't have self-control. But what I think can be an amazing gift for especially singles to cultivate before they get married and then arrive in marriage is with self-control. Because self-control, especially in the area of sex, can be such a way to love your spouse. You know, the habits that we form when we're single, especially in sex, so like if I have this desire and I think, oh, I can get this need met immediately, just I can look at porn, I can masturbate to get my needs met. If I do that while I'm single, I am creating a habit in my brain of immediate gratification And then when I arrive in marriage, expecting immediate gratification, I'm not loving my spouse, or yielding to them, or targeting them, I'm targeting myself. And so as a single person, if I have a need, and I can learn to exercise the muscle of, I'm okay with an unmet need right now, coming into marriage, that will be such a loving expression to your spouse. Not demanding sex every time you have a need, but preferring them. So cultivating self-control as a gift to your spouse. So in this whole passage, here's the things that I saw just in review. Number one, discipleship conversations around sexuality are vital. We don't have to be ashamed to bring it up. We need to be appropriate. We need to know the right context. But it's so vital. And the enemy is discipling people on sexuality. And we can... Bring light there. Two, emotional connection precedes sexual connection, so target your emotional connection with your spouse. Number three, sex is about self sacrifice. Four, sex is for both the male and the female. Number five, sex is about connection. And number six, sex should be a normal occurrence for married couples. Yeah, I just want to reemphasize that there's pain around sex, even in marriages, I mean especially in marriages. And if you're experiencing pain, there is hope. There is hope. Like one of my friends said, it's something that we learn about and there's emotional connection. And maybe if you're experiencing pain in your marriage around sexuality, maybe there's something that needs to be healed in your relationship. I mean, there probably is. And I have experienced that with Will. So there's hope for God's goodness. He has an amazing gift of sex for married couples to bond your relationship. And if you're not experiencing that, I just want to release hope over that for you. So we talked about God's heart for marriage and sex. Now I want to talk about the fire damage. What it can actually look like if we take the fire out of the fireplace. And again, this is not to instill fear, but it's just to, uh, to really understand and to learn from other people's stories um, just the damage that this can cause on your soul if you don't respect the way that God designed it to work. So let's look at 1 Corinthians, we're going to go back to chapter 6, <clears throat> starting in 12, going through 18. Paul is doing the quoting thing again. The Corinthians say, "I have the right to do anything." And Paul says, "But not everything is beneficial." And so I see what I see them doing here is they're like that's kind of like the world's narrative. I have the right to do anything. You know, it can be casual. It's just no strings attached. A one-night stand, we're just both feeling good and doesn't have to mean anything. Which causes a lot of damage and pain. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. Paul is saying, outside of covenant, you're still doing the bonding thing. It's still working like fire, whether you're in covenant or not. And this is going to cause problems. He says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. There's something about sexual sin that is just so damaging. Paul says he sins against his own body. I'm going to read some of this article. This is on the Moral Rev, my favorite, moralrevolution.com. This article is called The Invisible Effects of Sex Before Marriage. And um, they use a lot of information in that book, Hooked, that I was talking about. And so this talks a lot about the science of what happens when you have multiple sexual partners before marriage and how that can really damage your heart and your soul. So here's what it says. Scientifically, we know that sex engages us hormonally, neurologically, psychologically. It forms intense bonds mentally, emotionally, and physically, especially when we do it over and over again. How does this happen? Quite simply, any kind of sexual activity that takes place releases chemicals in our brains. So isn't that interesting that any kind of sexual activity, it doesn't have to be, you know, going all the way, it's any kind of intimate sexual activity, does this aversion of this same thing. So for women, it is primarily the hormone oxytocin. Everyone say oxytocin. And for men, it is vasopressin. Everyone say vasopressin. So oxytocin allows a woman to bond to the most significant people in her life. It eases stress, creating feelings of calm and closeness, which leads to increased trust. It also causes her to want to nurture and protect the one she's bonded to. Vasopressin is very similar to oxytocin, except that it is primarily released in the brain of men. This hormone causes a man to bond to a woman during intimate contact, Some call it the commitment hormone, or monogamy molecule. That's just so hard to say, monogamy molecule. Um, This hormone generates a desire for commitment and rouses loyalty. Um, There's a third set of hormones called endorphins. Everyone say endorphins. Which is released during sexual activities, and they affect both genders. Endorphins are what we call happy hormones. They are highly addictive and cause us to want to experience the rush again and again and again. What makes things even more interesting is that these hormones are values neutral. So whether it's a one-time encounter or a lifelong commitment, we bond the same way. So the same chemicals are being fired, whether it's a one-night stand or whether it's with your married spouse. Almost done. So what happens when we have multiple sexual partners? Scientifically, we know this. As we bond and break, bond and break, bond and break, we lose our ability to properly bond. And here's the last thing. The point is to keep our stickiness intact, meaning like the glue, the bonding stickiness. The point is to keep our stickiness intact so that when we find the right person, we connect with them for life. So what this article and what the science is saying is when you have multiple sexual partners, your stickiness becomes less effective. And you show up in marriage, and it's hard to actually bond and feel committed and feel connected to your spouse. And it can be because all of these hormones have been firing for other people. So that's one of the things, one of the ways that the fire damage can look. Another thing that can happen is unhealthy soul ties. So soul ties is just the term for that bonding. And they can and the bonding can be positive, like I said like in marriage, positive and have the bonding effect for a husband and wife and improve the relationship. Or it can be unhealthy and it can bond you to someone that you're not supposed to be bonded to. So here's a si- here's some signs that you might have an unhealthy soul tie. And again, I just want to share these as like a clear picture, not to be scary, not to Intimidate, not to cause shame, because if I was listening to this message, I wouldn't want judgment and shame because I did not come to marriage with a clean slate, and neither did Will. But here's just a reality of some signs that you might have an unhealthy soul tie. Number one, feeling like that person is haunting you, watching you, or following you. Feeling confident that that person could show up any second wherever you are. So whether you're at Kroger, and you're just like, is that guy here? Or you're on vacation you're like, why do I feel like that guy's here? You're just like this feeling. Thinking about the person when, you have, when having sex with someone else, so even having sex with your spouse and having this other person come to mind because you've chemically and spiritually bonded to them. Number four, you can't get the person out of your mind thinking about them obsessively, even in dreams. Number five, rationalizing, continuing an unhealthy relationship with them. So just coming up with any reason and just, yeah, that's okay. Just rationalizing away. Number six, on-again, off-again patterns, breaking up and back together repeatedly. I want to share a few stories um, from some of my friends that just illustrate some of the fire damage, too, in ways that they've experienced it. So I had a friend who had a boyfriend for a few years and they got engaged and they were both believers and they were, both having, they were having sex with each other, just each other, but they are having sex outside of marriage in their dating relationship and in their engagement. And um, the one thing that they experienced was this really painful cycle of shame and guilt around having sex because we as believers Usually we know better, and, but the endorphins that I talked about in the article that are highly addictive make it very difficult to stop. So it's, you have sex, and then you're like, oh, crap, we shouldn't do that. This is not right. Okay, we'll stop. Oh, we can't stop. And then you carry around shame and guilt on top of the fact that you can't tell anyone. So my friend here would say, like, I felt like such a hypocrite. You know, I felt so guilty, I felt so shameful, going to church. Um, just this cycle of shame and guilt. So six months away from their wedding date, they have a wedding date set, they go to a um, Christian conference for marriage, and they finally get, like, they feel like they get the strength, you know, like, let's really lay down the law, no pun intended, lay down, um, really set our boundary and just really wait until marriage. And they feel, they feel ready to do that. And my friend had such an interesting reaction to that conversation with her fiance. She said the moment that he brought that up, she burst into tears and felt like he was gonna leave her. Isn't that so interesting? They've been together for years, they're committed, but you take out that bonding thing And she feels insecure and she feels confused about her identity and her value and her worth to him. Dating and engagement don't actually have the relational security to hold the power of sex the way that God intended. And it's just so interesting because you would think, well, they're gonna get married, but it's not enough. It's not enough. I have another friend, we were talking about Christmas You know, who's excited for Christmas with the snow? Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. We have Thanksgiving first. But we were talking about Christmas and just the glorious moment of Christmas morning. You know, there's snow outside. Hopefully there's the matching family pajamas. There's like the cinnamon rolls and the coffee on the couch while the kids are opening presents. There's a big, huge pile of presents just waiting there. And you've been anticipating, just like ripping it open for a long time. Well, my friend was talking to me about how as a kid, she would, you know, you see the presents appear and you're supposed to wait and the anticipation is supposed to build and that's part of the glorious moment. But she, would, she talked to me about how she would take a present up to the closet, close the door, and just like see what she was getting for Christmas. And then close it back up and put it back under the tree. And, okay, did anyone else do that? Fast up, it's okay. (laughs) Well, she was talking about how she would do that. And then on Christmas morning, what do you do? You have to open it and act excited because your parents are there. So you have to act excited, but you're really not, and you just move on to the next thing. She said that's exactly how her wedding night felt because her fiancé and her had been having sex before. That all of the glory of the wedding night and everything was just not there because they had experienced it outside of the moment that the wedding is supposed to be like this culmination. I believe God really designed the weddings and the guests and the every detail was supposed to multiply into this culmination of just this glorious moment, celebrating your commitment to each other, your covenant, and then consummating the marriage on your wedding night was like the culmination of it all. And there's joy in that. And taking the sex outside of that context is not, it doesn't feel the same because it doesn't have the addition of all the other factors that are in place. So I see that God has an amazing gift for us, a Christmas morning that he wants us to enjoy it. And if we try to enjoy parts of it, it's just lame, and it spoils the moment, and it misses out on the goodness that God intended covenant sex to be. So the world, the world teaches that it can be casual, it's about me, but it results in unhealthy soul ties and feeling incomplete, and it results in sadness and confusion. Religion, religion can just teach, it's all no. Don't ask any questions. This is so embarrassing, this is so shameful. We don't know, as, we don't know anything about it, <laughs> but what I believe we see God showing us in the Bible, is that the kingdom way of understanding sexuality is that in marriage, covenant can hold the power of sex in a glorious way that bonds the husband and wife and strengthens their relationship with all of the pleasure, all of the joy, and it's connected and it's intimate in marriage. So I wanna close with just some, some action steps. Because again, I know that we're, I'm speaking to so many different situations, relationally and sex situations that are, can be full of pain. So first, I want us to be a church that celebrates vibrant marriages and therefore vibrant sex lives. Like in an appropriate way, we should celebrate that. We should celebrate people who have been married for so long and who act like they like each other and who seem bonded together. Um, and not be embarrassed by that. This is funny. I found this tweet Rick, from Rick, Rick Warren. He was tweeting this. He said Sex with one wife for life isn't like playing one record over and over, but learning one instrument well for years of beautiful music. Let's just clap for that. Isn't that beautiful? <clears throat> this is another. Um, This is from the book, Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, about marriage. It says this, A family research council study of 1,100 married couples revealed that the women who had the most fun in the bedroom were not the Paris Hiltons of the world. The prototypical sexually happy woman better resembled that middle-aged secretary who lives down your street, puttering around in her garden, packing an extra 25 pounds. Gravity has taken its toll, but she's the one who's the tiger in the bedroom. (laughs) She's the one having fun because she has the secret to sexual success. She's been married to the same man for the last 22 years, and they're totally and utterly committed to one another. Isn't that beautiful? Let's clap for that. So just some other um, action steps. If you are sitting here and you feel like, wow, I have a soul tie, an unhealthy soul tie, seek out healing for that. Get prayer, you can come and get prayer after the message um, from the prayer team. Confess to friends, mentors, process it. That can be so healing is to process um, the pain and to release it in that way and have friends and spiritual authorities agreeing with you and praying for you to break that soul tie. Um, for married couples, your action step is to have an honest conversation about your sexual relationship. Studies show that the more you communicate about sex, the better. And so this is just a step of taking the shame out of the equation. That That's part of the tortoise and the hare. It's part of learning about each other, and loving each other, and sacrificing. And it's, it doesn't have, I mean, it feels awkward for sure, but it doesn't have to. It's a safe place. Um, Married couples, you can download, if you want, on your phone, the Gottman Card Decks app. It's um, from John Gottman, and it has a bunch of questions, has different card decks that you can click on, and they open questions, conversation questions, and there's sex decks, and there's, relational? What's your dreams? There's all kinds of stuff just to get to know your spouse better and to provide a place for those conversations. Um, Married couples who are struggling, don't give up hope. Don't just accept the pain. Don't feel isolated. Know that there's other people struggling in this area and trying to figure it out too. And if there's something wrong, ask the Lord for healing in your relationship. Consider taking a marriage class together, here or online in the resources that I mentioned. Um, Yeah, just care about the the health of your marriage. To singles who, as Paul would say, are burning with passion. (laughs) I just wanna encourage you, celebrate your sex drive. If it is strong, I want you to know that there are marriages, like I just said, who are in pain because of a lack of sex drive. So celebrate it, that it is a God-given gift, and that it is supposed to bond you to your spouse, and celebrate that you will be, in a healthy way, bonded to your spouse, and it will bring joy and pleasure. Get resources and ask questions. Don't be afraid to get a book when you're not married. It's okay. And know that this church is cheering you on to your wedding night. And then, like I said, if you are feeling conviction about sex or sexual activity outside of covenant, have an honest conversation first with the Lord, and then with a trusted friend or a spiritual authority in your life, get prayer. And out of respect for yourself or your future spouse or the other party involved, make changes and set new boundaries. There's so much to say about this topic of sex, but what I felt like the Lord was inviting us on or these two things, one, to learn his ways, that he has ways in sexuality that are good and that they're knowable. We can know them. So I feel like he's inviting us to learn them and to live them. And then two, to go on a journey of healing in this area, that it's a journey. It's not, I mean, definitely get prayer today, but it will set you on a journey of healing. So would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us. So, Lord, I thank you that you are a good God. You're not ashamed of sex. Nothing is hidden from you, Lord. We want to know your ways, God, who created sex to be good, healthy. Teach us your ways. And, Father, you see the pain in this room. We invite you to come and bring healing and to lead us on a journey of healing so that we can experience your goodness in this area. And I just bless all the married couples that they would be connected emotionally to their spouse and that we would learn about healthy sex and that we wouldn't be ashamed to disciple in this area. In Jesus' name, amen.